When something happens to your car, you might say, But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. In most places, there is no statute of limitation on murder, so charges can be brought against someone regardless of how old the crime was. Thankfully, this allows justice to be served, even when a killer might think they have escaped punishment. That is central to today's episode. Okay, on to the show. On June 20, 2012, Domino's Pizza in Green, Ohio, received a delivery order around 11.45 p.m. to a business on West Turkey Foot Lake Road in New Franklin. Once the delivery driver, Ashley Biggs, arrived at the closed business, she was ambushed in the parking lot, struck over the head, and then strangled with a four-foot-long zip tie. Her body was placed in her car, and the car driven to a cornfield in Wayne County. When Ashley did not return to the Domino's restaurant by 12.45 a.m., her co-workers contacted the police, who went to the scene of her delivery. While there, they found a large amount of blood and signs of a struggle. They immediately began searching for her vehicle, which was found hours later, with her body in the back seat. The car was located in a cornfield in neighboring Wayne County. Ashley had been beaten, tased, and strangled. Ashley's fiancé, Brittany Dunson, had been notified by the store manager that Ashley had not returned after the last delivery. Brittany drove to the Domino's and saw several police cars. Brittany spoke with the police and told them Ashley and her ex-boyfriend, Chad Cobb, were in the middle of a contentious child custody battle over their seven-year-old daughter. Ashley Biggs and Chad Cobb had met in 2003 while roller skating, a friendship ensued which turned into a sexual relationship. Their daughter, identified as GC in court records, was born in July 2005. When GC was just a few months old, Ashley left Chad and the baby to pursue other interests, including joining the army. Chad claimed sometimes Ashley would be around and sometimes would not, but from September 2009 to October 5, 2011, Ashley had no contact with Chad or their daughter. On October 5, 2011, G.C. was taken from school. Ashley had contacted the courts and received a civil protection order to be able to get G.C. from school. Chad was not notified until he went in to pick G.C. up from school, 
and a police officer gave Chad the paperwork that stated that he was not allowed to see GC. The next day, Chad began fighting for custody of his daughter. After being her sole caregiver for several years and seeing her daily, he was unable to see her for three or four months. He ran into Ashley at the courthouse and shook her hand, welcoming her back and inviting her to dinner. By this time, Chad had remarried and he was interested in co-parenting maturely with Ashley and her partner, Brittany Dunson. While the court hearings dragged on, Chad claimed GC would arrive home with bruises, bite marks, and temporary tattoos on her private areas. GC said Brittany's brother would grab her legs and scream at her to be quiet. Chad and his attorneys brought this to the attention of the family courts, but nothing was investigated or done. This was the state of the relationship between Chad and Ashley in June 2012. A few hours after Ashley's body was found, police began searching for Chad Cobb. He was found a short while later in the woods surrounding his grandparents' house. He was taken into custody and charged with aggravated murder and kidnapping. Chad was held in the Summit County Jail on a $1.5 million bond. At the time of his arrest, New Franklin Police Chief Dan Davidson said others might be charged in connection with the slaying. On July 9, 2012, Chad was indicted for aggravated murder and kidnapping. On August 15, 2012, the grand jury filed a supplemental indictment charging Chad Cobb with three counts of aggravated murder, each with two capital specifications and one count each of kidnapping, aggravated robbery, felonious assault, tampering with evidence, grand theft, abuse of a corpse, possessing criminal tools, and domestic violence. At this time, Chad's attorney withdrew from the case and a new attorney was appointed. In February 2013, Chad took a plea bargain for the charges, agreeing to a life sentence in prison with the possibility of parole. Chad told the court he was making his plea and accepting the prison term with accountability and a heavy heart. At the time of his sentencing, New Franklin police continued to investigate anyone who assisted him before or after the murder. In 2014, Chad filed an appeal of his sentence with the state of Ohio. He claimed the state could not convict him in Summit County because they had not proven the murder had occurred there. He also claimed he had ineffective counsel since his first attorney withdrew after the second grand jury indictments. He further contended his ineffective counsel because his attorney did not show up at a hearing. The court denied the appeal and upheld his sentence. Chad was seemingly set to become another guilty person who fades away into prison life. However, on November 11, 2019, Chad's ex-wife, Erica Stefanko, was arrested during a traffic stop at Eastern Road in State Route 585 in Wayne County. She was charged with aggravated murder, murder, and kidnapping in the case of Ashley Biggs. She was held in Summit County Jail on a million-dollar bond. Even after Chad had been arrested and sentenced, the night of Ashley's death had been shrouded in mystery. The biggest mystery was who placed the pizza order that night. This was cleared up during Erica's trial. The morning Chad was arrested, Erica, Chad's wife at the time, had been in the couple's SUV, which was hidden behind the detached garage on his grandparents' property. The couple's children, including Chad's daughter with Ashley, were also in the vehicle. 
During Erica's trial held in November 2020, Chad Cobb testified from the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction. Judge Amy Corrigal Jones ran a tight courtroom, particularly due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Jurors were spaced out and the prosecuting and defense attorneys were confined to a podium or their desks. After each witness testified or after each attorney finished at the podium, Judge Jones had her court superintendent Desiree sanitize the area. Additionally, during all recesses, the judge and Desiree both worked on sanitizing the courtroom, including the juror seats and areas. Incidentally, Judge Jones had sentenced Chad in 2012. Prior to the trial, Judge Jones ruled that Chad's minor daughter, GC, could testify against her former stepmother. Initially, GC requested that her testimony be done remotely, but in the end, GC testified in the courtroom. Erica's attorney argued GC should not be allowed to testify due to her young age at the time of the murder, but assistant prosecutor Felicia Easter said it was based on the age at the time of the testimony, not the crime. An attorney was assigned to Chad to advise him of his rights testifying against his ex-wife. The attorney was set up to ensure Chad did not incriminate himself and did not violate spousal privilege regarding his testimony where Erica was concerned. Judge Jones ruled that phone calls made while Chad was in jail and prison would be admissible due to the fact that all parties on the phone are advised the call could be recorded. The recording acts as a third party. Judge Jones further ruled that conversations between Chad and Erica in person with no other witnesses were protected under spousal privilege. Brittany Dunson, Ashley's girlfriend at the time of the murder, was one of the first witnesses called to the stand. She testified that she and Ashley were planning on being married and that Chad had once beaten Ashley, resulting in a charge of domestic battery or abuse. She recounted taking GC out of school on October 5, 2011, and said GC was happy to see her mom. Brittany alleged that Chad was abusive towards GC. Brittany said Erica had emailed Ashley before, threatening her, and had once followed them after they picked GC up from school. This chase allegedly occurred the first time GC was picked up from school. Brittany remembered one of the threats specifically, that Erica said she would rip off Ashley's head and shove it up her butt. Brittany recounted happy memories with Ashley and GC, such as riding scooters, drawing with chalk, and going to the park. Cindy Cobb, Chad's mother, testified against Erica. She had an audio recording of a conversation between herself and Erica, made approximately four years before. Erica had come to Cindy's house, and Cindy decided to try to get as much on tape as possible. The audio is very difficult to understand, but some parts do stand out. Erica admitted to Cindy that she took out her frustration at Chad on GC. She also said the custody battle was difficult, particularly the no-contact order that had been in place initially. Erica told GC, don't love your dad so much. About the murder, Erica said to Cindy that if everything had been told as it happened, they would both be in prison right now. Erica admitted to Cindy that Chad had developed a plan and she agreed to it. Allegedly, Chad said he was going to keep Ashley's skull as a trophy. Erica said it took the two of them to carry it out and that Chad didn't force her. She said, he didn't have a gun to my head. Erica also said, do I feel bad about what happened to her? Not really. 
Do I feel bad about what happened to everyone else? Absolutely. I would take it back if I could. Cindy blamed the court system for granting temporary custody to Ashley. They agreed that the real tipping point for Chad about Ashley were the long, ongoing hearings. Erica said Chad was concerned, knowing what she would become if they had her. Erica claimed that GC was picking up Ashley's shit, as in her mannerisms and behaviors. When Ashley came and took GC, it all fell apart. On the recording, Erica said, Chad was doing what I asked him to do. On day two, Chad testified from the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction. He appeared in court via Zoom along with his attorney who was in a separate location. Chad Cobb was ordered on July 31, 2020 to give testimony. The judge reminded Chad and his attorney the juveniles in the case had to be referred to by their initials. Erica's attorney, Carrie O'Brien, objected for the record due to the fact that Chad was not physically present in the courtroom. Chad Cobb was born on January 28, 1982, in Oklahoma. He lived in Enid, Oklahoma for the first nine or ten years of his life. Then his family moved to Easton, Ohio. Chad and his parents lived in the country outside of Easton, and he was an only child. Chad graduated from Doylestown High School and enlisted in the Marines after graduating. Chad left the military after six months, stating, it wasn't for me. He became a laborer and a mechanic, and in 2004 began working for a telecommunications company by answering an ad in a newspaper. This turned out to be fortuitous because he learned a trade at his new job and eventually opened his own cable company. At one time, he had 12 or 13 employees working for him. He specialized in telecommunication maintenance and aerial construction. His childhood neighbor and lifelong friend, Mike Stefanko, worked for him for quite a while. He was around 21 years old when he first met Ashley and after she left him in GC in 2005, he remained single for a little while. In 2006, he met Erica Lyon on MySpace and a relationship quickly began. They began living together fairly quickly at a time when he was subcontracting for Time Warner. Erica had a college degree, but Chad was not sure what it was. When he met Erica, she had a son who was roughly GC's age. The couple also had their own children, a daughter, FC, in 2009, before they married, then a son, Casey, after they married. Chad testified he believed they were married in 2010, but he could not really recall. When they were married, Erica stepped in as a mother to GC, although the prosecutor and Chad both alluded to this being less than ideal or a rosy situation. Chad testified that on June 20, 2002, he was setting up for a job. Early that evening, he was at home with Erica and the kids, and then Erica and the two male children left. Shortly after Erica left, she called the house and then Chad left with their daughters. He was driving his work pickup, and Erica was in their black Lincoln Navigator. Chad drove to Mitco, a trucking company where his father worked. The company was closed for the night and no one was there as Chad pulled into the parking lot. Erica pulled in a short while later and Chad and the children got into the Lincoln. Erica drove to Akron past Ashley's place of employment, a Domino's Pizza at Portage Lakes Plaza. As she drove past, Erica pointed out Ashley's vehicle before continuing onto State Route 619. 
As she drove past, Erica pointed out Ashley's vehicle before continuing onto State Route 619. Erica pulled into an unfamiliar parking lot that was about a mile from Chad's grandparents' house. His grandparents lived on Rex Lake Road. Erica pulled to the back of the lot and Chad got out of the navigator. He attempted to tell the court that Erica was venting, but the defense attorney objected and the judge sustained as this was protected under marital privilege. Chad walked to a tree at the east side of the lot and just paced. Erica eventually joined him and they had a conversation. Then Erica went back to the Lincoln and made a phone call. Chad could only hear bits and pieces of the call. He heard her say someone else's name, like Jennifer or Katie, and ordered a pizza. He testified that this struck him as bizarre because she ordered a half pepperoni, half mushroom pizza. The prosecutor asked Chad if he handed Erica a phone, and Chad said he didn't know what phone she was using because they had several at their house for their employees to use. The prosecutor specified, emphasizing, but did you hand her a phone? Chad finally said no. After Erica ordered the pizza, she drove off, leaving Chad in the parking lot alone and without a ride. A short while later, Ashley showed up with the pizza. She was driving her car without Domino's markings. The prosecutor asked Chad, so you were waiting for Ashley? Chad replied, sir, I wasn't necessarily waiting for Ashley. I was stuck there. The prosecutor wanted to know if Chad had engaged Ashley at some point in time or place in that parking lot and where she had parked. The prosecutor wanted to know if Chad had engaged Ashley at some point in time or place in that parking lot and where she had parked. She had initially parked close to where Erica had been parked. Chad had been on the other side of the parking lot, but when he saw her pull in and turn around, he walked towards the car and made himself known. Chad was asked how Ashley reacted to him when she saw him. Chad said she was worked up and she wasn't too happy to see him there. In response to a question the prosecutor asked, Chad said he had no intention of buying a pizza that night until Erica had ordered it and had no idea one was even being ordered. The prosecutor then asked, is it fair to say that Ashley did not leave that parking lot alive that night? Chad replied, yes, sir. That is accurate. Today's episode is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers is on a mission to reinvent your medicine cabinet with clean remedies that actually work. You and your family deserve to feel your best all day, every day, which is why Beekeepers Naturals creates clean, science-backed remedies that naturally support your daily health. Like Bee Soothe Cough Syrup, the truly clean cough syrup that helps you get back on your feet. I try as much as possible to keep my voice healthy by using Bee Soothe for throat and immunity support. And the flavor is so much better than your standard cough syrup. It's naturally powered by nature's most powerful immune supporters, pure buckwheat honey, elderberry, chaga mushroom, bee propolis, and olive leaf extract. But Bee Soothe Cough Syrup isn't the only beekeeper's product I love. My family is obsessed with Bee Lixer Brain Fuel. It helps to naturally beat brain fog, find your flow, and deliver your A-game. We all take one shot first thing in the morning to stay energized, on task, and focused all day. So, 
Are you ready to upgrade your medicine cabinet? This amazing cough syrup always sells out quickly, so don't delay. Get yours today. Check out Beekeepers Naturals to try Bee Soothe Cough Syrup and discover other clean remedies your family will love. You can save 15% on your first order today by going to beekeepernaturals.com slash true crime. That's B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S dot com slash T-R-U-E-C-R-I-M-E to get 15% off. Meet your new medicine cabinet with Beekeepers Naturals. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Chad described what he was wearing, work clothes with his work taste on him and a work knife. He called Erica, who came back to pick him up. Chad then put Ashley's body in the backseat of her car. She had a zip tie around her neck. The prosecutor asked Chad how he managed to get her in the backseat of the car, and Chad said since she was hefty and strong, it was difficult getting her in the car. He said he just had to get her in the car and leave. After he got her in the car, he left and drove about a half hour to a bridge where he and Ashley used to hang out. Erica was following him in the Lincoln. The bridge was not far from his parents' property. Asked if he had sentimental reason for driving to the bridge, Chad said it was very difficult to explain, that it had been a very difficult night. Erica stayed at the bridge while Chad drove Ashley's car into a cornfield. He drove it as far as he could before he would have driven into Chippewa Creek or the tree line. Chad made an odd comment about driving to the bridge because he saw Erica's headlights and he just had to get away from her and wanted to get somewhere safe. He explained he didn't drive the car into the cornfield to keep it from being found. He drove it there to stay away from Erica for a while. Once he parked the car, Chad got out and started walking. He said he could see the headlights of the Lincoln and, having nowhere else to go, walked to Erica's car. Once he got in the Lincoln, they drove back to their home on Mount Eaton Road. Chad had blood on him, so he undressed in the backyard by the Lincoln, then went inside to take a shower. When he got out of the shower, he, Erica, and their children, aged two months, two and a half years, and two children, aged six, went back to Akron to clean up the scene of the crime. Chad said they were also going to go back for Ashley's phone. They had cleaning supplies in the Lincoln, put there by Erica and Chad. Chad's truck was still at his father's place of employment. When they got to the scene of the crime, 
law enforcement were already there, so they drove to his grandparents' residence instead. Erica and Chad sat in the vehicle for about half an hour, then saw another police car drive past, so they drove behind his grandparents' barn. Eventually, Chad got out of the car and walked into the tree line. Before he entered the tree line, he removed the stick figure family decal that was on the back of the Lincoln. He said he remembered thinking, my family is broken, so he took off the decals and stuck them on a fence post. The prosecutor asked him about taking the plea bargain and if there were any promises made to him, aside from removing the death penalty stipulation. Chad said that if he took a plea, he wouldn't lose his kids. The prosecutor said, that wasn't part of our agreement though, right? To which Chad agreed. He asked Chad to explain what pleading guilty had to do with his children. Chad explained that Beth Judge, his family court attorney, contacted him while he was in jail and stated if he did not resolve the criminal case against him within one year of the murder, he would lose his children. She explained he would not lose his children to his parents, but that the children would become wards of the state and put up for adoption. Chad agreed that the state of Ohio investigators were interested in Erica's involvement in the murder, but he did not cooperate, mainly because he did not want his children to be orphaned if they were both in prison and for them to be adopted by others. The prosecutor asked Chad if he knew what would have happened to Erica if he had cooperated with the state. The defense objected to this question, and the judge sustained it. However, the prosecutor asked if he could approach the bench, and when he went back to the podium, he asked, Mr. Cobb, what do you think would have happened if you had cooperated with the state? Chad replied he had no idea, because he still could not understand how they had both been taken to jail after Ashley's murder, but Erica walked out of there the same day. The prosecutor asked about phone calls that had been made while they were sitting in the Lincoln, behind his grandparents' barn. Chad said his friend and employee, Mike Stefanko, had been called because Erica needed her medication. They could not reach Mike initially, so Chad called his parents to go and get Mike. This question led into the relationship between Erica and Mike, which apparently began after Chad was arrested and before he took the plea bargain. He said she was pregnant when he took the plea, and so he became aware of the relationship between the two of them. After that, he pressed for a divorce, which was finalized in late 2013 or early 2014. After the divorce, Detective Hitching's lead investigator in the case visited Chad in prison to ask about Erica's involvement in the murder. At that time, Chad told the detective he was not trying to be rude, but before he cooperated, he should probably talk to an attorney. Detective Hitchings left, and it was quite some time before the two spoke again. In 2017, Chad wrote Detective Hitchings a letter because Erica was not allowing Chad's parents to see their two children any longer. Chad's parents would bring them to the prison to see him whenever they had them, but Erica eventually stopped letting the grandparents see them. This was around the same time that Cindy recorded the conversation between her and Erica. During the divorce proceedings, Chad and Erica had several phone conversations regarding the marital assets, particularly Chad's tools, which he wanted to go to his dad. However, Mike kept the tools. The state asked if he used this as leverage against Erica by saying, if you don't give my dad these tools, 
I'm going to tell the state about your involvement. Chad said he did not use that as leverage. Chad testified that Erica expressed concerns several times about Chad turning her in. He would urge her to do the right thing, but she would give him blowback. When asked why he wanted her to turn herself in, he said, because I think it's the right thing to do. After a few more questions concerning the residence Chad and Erica once shared, that she now shares with Mike Stefanko, the prosecutor rested for the day, and the judge warned Chad not to discuss his testimony with anyone. Chad's cross-examination by the defense was conducted on day three of the trial, due to the limitations in place by the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. The defense attorney began by asking Chad about the custody battle between himself and Ashley. He asked if Ashley left Chad and GC two years after she was born. Chad corrected the attorney and said that Ashley had actually left them the first time when GC was about six months old. In 2007, Chad was officially granted permanent custody. After numerous questions establishing the custody battle and when the first court case was, the defense attorney asked Chad if he had placed a tracking device on Ashley's car in May 2012. Chad responded no. Then the defense attorney asked if he knew anyone close to him who had purchased a tracking device that was put on Ashley's car. Chad once again responded no. The defense attorney moved on to Chad's plea of guilty for the charges against him and asked if anyone else had been indicted along with him. Chad said no. The defense attorney then addressed the fact that Chad filed an appeal even though he admitted responsibility. The attorney asked, you decided to take the plea agreement, whereby you did not face the death penalty, correct? Chad argued that this was not entirely accurate and eventually was able to explain that he pleaded guilty so that he did not lose his children. He said, truly, I didn't care what the court was going to do with me. My main focus was and has been my children, our children. When the defense attorney asked him if the appeal was an attempt to get the sentence overturned, Chad replied, uh, no, sir. Mind you, my knowledge of the law isn't very good, but I believe that the information that was seemingly restricted from coming into court could have been presented during an appeal, but I didn't know how the law worked and I found out that was not the case. The attorney tried another angle and said, once you plead guilty for all intents and purposes, you knew your case was over, correct? Chad replied, no, sir. And a heavy sigh can be heard from the defense attorney. The attorney asked questions about where Chad drove the car and how he was familiar with that area. He then asked if Ashley was in the car when Chad drove it into the cornfield. Chad replied, yes. The attorney then asked if Ashley was already dead and Chad replied yes again. Erica's attorney then asked Chad, did you strangle her? And Chad replied, I'm not the one who strangled her. The defense attorney asked incredulously, would you please repeat that? Chad says, I am not the one that strangled her, sir. The defense attorney commented, so you pled guilty, and now you're saying that you didn't kill her, is that right? Chad replies, yes, sir. After questioning Chad about Erica and Mike's marriage, the defense attorney questioned him about his sentencing. He asked, at your sentencing, when Judge Jones asked you if you had anything to say, 
did you say anything about Erica? Chad replied that he told the judge there was a lot he needed to say, but there was very little he could say. The defense attorney asked again with the same reply. Finally frustrated, the defense attorney asked the judge if she could instruct the witness to answer the question. If you want to ask him directly, did he reference a name, you can do that and we can see what his answer is. When Chad was asked if he specifically mentioned Erica during his sentencing, Chad said, no. The defense attorney continued to point out that Chad had not mentioned Erica prior to 2020, either at his sentencing or when Detective Hitchings had visited him in prison. He finished up by asking if Mary Brinkham had put money in his commissary account, and Chad said he did not recall if she had or not. The attorney pointed out they had testimony that morning where she said she had, but Chad stated she might have, he just did not recall it. When the prosecutor resumed direct examination of Chad, he tried to poke holes in the defense's questioning. He asked Chad why he had not mentioned Erica at the 2013 sentencing. Chad said he was afraid of something happening to his children because of threats that had been made in the past. Chad explained he had told one of his attorneys about Erica's involvement back in 2012, but this was the attorney who said that Chad needed to resolve the case or lose his kids. After some questions about his business and how Erica and Mike had sold off most of his equipment, the prosecutor finished with Chad Cobb, and Chad's session was ended. The next witness was GC, Chad's minor daughter. She was questioned about various aspects of her relationships with her mother and her stepmother. GC testified that she had very few memories of her mother or of any contentious court battles. She stated that she had some good memories of Erica, but they were mostly bad because Erica was mean to her. Erica didn't want her to have a close relationship with her father. GC wisely said she was jealous. GC said she was close with her dad and missed him. She then testified she remembered a phone call Erica had made to order a pizza. She said she remembered Erica didn't give her own name, but could not remember what name Erica had said. She said the next thing she remembered, she woke up in the car at her great-grandmother's house. GC testified that she now lives with her paternal grandparents and she works three jobs, but still makes A's and B's in school. One other witness, a friend of Erica's, said at a dinner after Ashley's murder, Erica claimed to have defecated on Ashley's grave. When her friend asked her why, Erica said, for all the shit she put us through. At one point during the trial, juror number seven was dismissed due to an outside discussion of the case. Alternate number one was put in juror number seven's place, making the jury six men and six women. It had previously been seven women and five men. After testimony from responding officers, crime scene technicians, and the medical examiner, the state rested their case. The defense attorney called Mike Stefanko to the stand briefly before the jury was given instructions and began deliberations. After 14 hours, the jury found Erica Stefanko guilty of one count of aggravated murder, murder, and six other charges in relation to the beating and strangulation death of Ashley Biggs. Sentencing was due to occur on January 11, 2021, and she faces a sentence of life in prison, but that hearing has been delayed. Chad's domestic attorney, Beth Judge, 
was suspended from the Ohio State Bar in January 2020. She was suspended for taking money from a client and not providing services. In December 2020, Beth was ordered to make restitution to the client, but remained suspended from the bar. Ashley Biggs was 25 when she was murdered. She was an Army veteran where she served as a 92F or a fuel specialist. Those who knew her said she had a smile that was as big as the world. She was full of laughter, kindness, and joy. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media channels, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, and of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, TCFCPod at gmail.com. This episode was researched and written by Susie St. John, content editing by Brittany Martinez, produced by the best in the business, Nico Neeks at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. And if you're interested in a behind the scenes look of what Nico does to make this podcast what it is, feel free to head to Twitch and search for his channel, We Talk of Dreams. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.